mashed potatoes, Thanksgiving parades, killing the shit out of calc finals. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The holiday season is among us. This year, it will certainly look quite different, and you may not get to experience the thrill of getting stabbed while trying to buy the PS5 this Black Friday, but the magic and frenzy of the time is still in the air. I'm certainly thankful for very much in a year like this, and I'm especially thankful for the other mediocre film bros that have joined me today. Speaking now and hosting today's episode, myself, Samir, and we have the lovely Sam, Jane, and Corey with us. As always, before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and ask the group what we watched this week. Corey, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I love that you're like... First of all, beautifully done intro is just going to have like Sam in the background snickering the entire time. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I, I, I had a busy week watching a lot of stuff. Um, I won't yeah, no shit. mention every single one, but I'll briefly say that the best thing I watched in the last week um, was rather older film from uh, Japanese director Yasujiro Ozu. I think I texted you guys about this, um, but it's a film from 1959 called Good Morning that I cannot recommend enough. It is about two sons who go on a silent strike um, so they can try to, because they want their parents to buy them a television set. But it's hilarious. It's like beautiful. It's heartfelt. It's adorable. It's it's all the things you'd want out of a movie. And yet it's a little more, I think, profound as well. Highly recommend it. I finished the miniseries called The Good Lord Bird on Showtime. It's Ethan Hawke playing... John Brown is a real-life historical figure. He was a prominent abolitionist. Ethan Hawke gives maybe the best performance I've ever seen, at least on television. Um, and that's a medium that's seen, you know, fucking Brian Cranston and John Hamm deliver some incredible performances as well. So this is really, really amazing. He created the series as well, so I highly recommend it. And then the last one I'll shout out really quick. I watched it last night. It's called Mangrove. It's from Steve McQueen, who's releasing this series of films about the immigrant community in London. Um, it's called his small acts anthology series, and they're going to be releasing throughout the next couple weeks, I believe. But I watched the first one mangrove, very similar to the trial of the Chicago seven in that it focuses on a prominent racially charged trial, much better than the trial of the Chicago seven though. I know I was one who actually liked that movie. And I think we had a disagreement about that Samir. Uh, but if you didn't like that one, I think you'll really, really like mangrove really drawn to your line in your review where you were like um that this makes the trial of the chicago 7 feel embarrassed about itself or something like that yeah, or yeah. this should embarrass the trial of chicago 7 yeah i think i think i felt embarrassed for having even enjoyed chicago 7 because this one's just so much more uh like like it's just much it's a much more passionate film and i think it's it's told from the perspective of like i remember in that movie in the trial of the chicago 7 it's just kind of like a storyline like the Black Panther um thing and they just kind of towards in the last 30 minutes or so of that movie they don't really become the focus of it um and I'm guessing with this movie like there's more focus um on that story yeah it shows all the events leading up to the trial as well as the trial itself whereas the trial of the Chicago 7 made the bizarre decision to literally just focus on the the trial yeah. which made it I guess you know that is a genre like a courtroom drama but it just not it was not nearly as interesting as this one that gave us a chance to meet the characters outside of that setting as well. So this week I watched uh, three movies. I watched more, but for some reason I can't remember the other ones. 
they weren't good enough. But I watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Dead Ringers, and Hunt for the Wilder People. And I have to give it to uh, Hunt for the Wilder People in terms of what I enjoyed most. I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi. I love Jojo Rabbit. Uh, just at how funny, but also just emotional and heartfelt that movie is. It's so sweet. Um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. It wasn't as uh, good or captivating, I guess, as Jojo Rabbit, but it still was a really good movie. Um, brought a tear to my eye. And I also started watching a couple new shows this week. I started the new season of Mandalorian, and that is excellent. Um, and I also started watching Fleabag, and Fleabag uh, took a little to grow on me, but I am really enjoying that so far. Dane, I I started Fleabag, and I oh, couldn't. No. I mean, like, I, I dropped off after <laughs> Samir the fucking episode. hates it. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into, uh, getting a little feisty right off the bat in this podcast. <laughs> no, I, I can definitely see how it is not everyone's cup of tea. Um I do think I it's didn't give it a chance. Humor. Like it, it's not even like I bet the show is great. It's just I couldn't like I I couldn't do it because after the third episode, like I don't know for TV shows at least, like my patience is so low. Like it takes two episodes for me to be like, yeah, I'm not going to continue with this <laughs> investment of my time. Yeah. but I'll probably return back to it because um, you know, I've heard great things about it. And like our playwriting teacher, uh, for in Corey, like uh, she she really loves it and she recommends it. The other show she recommended, which turned out to be my favorite piece of media of this past year, Succession. If you guys have seen that, um, that's a fantastic show. Yeah, by far. He, I mean, I'm not gonna say too much about it here. Um, but all I'll say is that like satire as a genre is super hard to do, and getting it that right especially like this timely when we've seen so many other shows like snl repeatedly fail at it at like describing like like mocking what's going on right now in a way that's like smart and not undermining anyone's intelligence and doing it in a way that's like ridiculously entertaining for me i think this is the only show that even comes close to the craziness of the current news and media cycles going on i think that like Modern day empires like Alexander the Great, like modern day empires are these like crazy conglomerate like corporations and media chains. All right, whatever. Sam, Samir, I'm glad you get your opinion on fucking... that. Um, our theater teacher in, enjoyed it so much because what I love about Succession is that it almost plays out like it's like a Shakespearean tragedy, exactly. you know? Like there's something very, or a comedy. I mean, it is a comedy, but. You know, it has this sort of Shakespearean vibe to it. That's yeah, also yeah. obviously very contemporary as well. So I, I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting takeaway. I'm just so glad sure. that you could give your opinions on Fleabag by just ranting about Secession for four <laughs> minutes. That was really well done. Thank you. No, my, I um, am going to watch Fleabag after this, though, because Dane, Dane has sold me. Yeah, Fleabag. Not after you guys watch Twin Peaks. Critically acclaimed. It has, it has a, an Emmy. It also yeah. started off as a one-woman show. So as a theater yeah. piece, so. And Phoebe Waller Bridge also has Killing Eve. I haven't watched Killing Eve, but I've heard that's very good. And she has a show called Crashing on Netflix. Yeah. So she's um, really talented. She's doing well for herself. Very much. 
Sam? Well, Samir, thank you for asking what I watched the past week. I watched four movies <clears throat> and Twin Peaks. Uh, and the four movies were all very different from each other, but actually I enjoyed all four of them. And I watched Brazil, um, which is a 1984, I think. Uh, 1984, 1985 satire film uh, that's directed by Terry Gilliam and absolutely hilarious and extremely profound. Um, I, it's very, this is like a, a cult classic from the 80s um, that is just amazing. And I was telling Corey about this, like one of the, the first movies I've watched in a while where it was like, damn, I, I would have written, if I were to write a movie about um a dystopian society this is almost exactly like how i would write it it's a uh, it's essentially if monty python did their own take on 1984 um so can't recommend that one enough then i watched first cow uh which was no which yeah the the cow says moo in it multiple times um they milk the cow for milk and the milk is used to make bread and pastries uh, that is pretty much what happens in that movie. Um, but it's also very good, and I enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed that well. <laughs> you really did your best um, to, to sell it short. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I went from cows to girls, and I watched Mean Girls for the first time ever, actually. Uh, fun nice. fact, I'd never seen Mean Girls until the past uh, two or three days. Fantastic. I was honestly surprised by how much I loved it. Um, I really think there's, there's some parts that are, you know, a little cliche and, you know, they could have definitely gone different ways, but overall I was laughing the entire time. I thought the characters were funny. Um, I, it's just a very tight and fun movie. Enjoyed that immensely. Yeah. And then I went from Mean Girls and I watched the greatest movie of all time, which is Citizen Kane. So I watched Citizen Kane for the first time last night. Um, not my favorite movie ever, but I mean, I'm just was blown away by it the entire time. Just, it is held up that well under that much scrutiny. Um, just a classic for all the right reasons. So, so good. Citizen Kane is a Mean Girls ripoff. You do know that, right? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I heard that Tina Fey like actually gave Orson Welles the screenplay and he just totally right. ripped it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so derivative. That, I didn't know that. that. Holy shit. Yeah, the more you know. It's the film That's bro film fact. Enough for the humor. I <laughs> know. Yeah, mean, mean Girls really is great. Like, I saw that, I think, first time I saw it, I was, like, probably nine or something like that. Because I think it came out in 2004 or something. It did. That. Um, I was probably six, closer to six. Even then, like, I was just like, I, I really like this movie. They said the B word in it, and I watched that with my parents, and I was like, damn said the b word um, not the b mom word bitch. I, I thought it was I thought it was a b word b word is bitch <laughs> what I'm say, thank you samir um that's our lesson for the yeah, day. I, I really you got, you got dane at least on that one <laughs> okay dane <laughs> thought that was the funniest joke yeah no, no it honestly it was just the the two seconds of awkward silence followed up by <laughs> the response dane, Dane's my target demographic. Um, <laughs> All right, well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on if 
Christmas movies. Oh, it sounds like Wait, we real all watched some good stuff. Uh, this is for I, Samir, but I guess anybody. Have Have you guys seen the movie The Fountain? No, no, no. That's the only one of his I haven't watched. I yeah, I I watched that in the last week, and I didn't bring it up because I wasn't sure if anybody had seen it. But uh, when you do see it, let me know what what you think. Because uh, yeah, yeah, I got. I got you know I have my Aronofsky thoughts, and this one probably, maybe more than any other one. of it, Corey. Um, and it was definitely <laughs> very strong. He was he felt passionately about it, which is yeah. a fair response to any of his movies. And I think even that in and of itself is like something to say. That you You're right. Have. I mean, yeah. If nothing else, he definitely generates a strong reaction in his viewers. So sure. Um. So la- this week I checked out. So today I checked out August. Osage County, um, which sucked. I really hated it. And it was <laughs> it was based off of like a Pulitzer award winning play. Um, and it has okay, this is the cast, okay. Meryl Streep, um, Julia Roberts, Benedict Cumberbatch, Chris Cooper, um, and two other really Sam Shepard, who's like a really well known playwright, wrote True West, yeah. um, and two other really high profile actors. And, general thing is that they're all family members somehow they made a movie that completely sucks the life out of its source material it surprisingly has a terrible meryl street performance i never thought i would see one of those in my lifetime but i thought she was really bad in it um it's kind of interesting because people are bringing it up in the vein of the upcoming movie this friday hillbilly elegy when like rich people acting like they get poor people and that's um obviously kind of annoying um and i i saw after hours which is a whole movie feels like a side mission in martin scorsese's career because he made i think it goes taxi driver aging bull this movie that everyone forgets about and then other movies um it's super like no one really talks about it obviously in the vein of uh, taxi driver raging bull and it's funny because the whole movie is just like this guy doing side missions um and it, it's funny it's a it's a good movie and i i enjoyed it so, yeah, i'm a fan of that one i saw super dark times which is kind of like an indie netflix movie and it seems that Corey has watched it i read his review of it um yeah and I, I agreed with him partially um i think i ended up not liking it as much as he did but we both had the same gripe essentially um and like sam i also watched a movie that the same genre that took me years to watch, but I finally did it. Easy A. Um, I don't know if you have seen Easy A uh, with a Stone. Uh, I mean, like, I don't, I don't really have anything great to say about it. It's just that I just wanted to watch it, and I watched it. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. One more. I also watched About Schmidt, which is an Alexander Payne movie starring Jack Nicholson. Um, oh, yeah. How was that? I really want to see that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just kind of wanted to watch it so I could be like, oh, I watched all of Alex Payne's movies. Um, this one, I wasn't that like keen about. I felt everything about it was just super passable. I think it's probably his weakest movie outside of Downsizing, which... Uh, Downsizing is bad. Yeah, it's, yeah this, this movie's not as bad as his latest outing, Dan- Downsizing. Um, but I don't know. It's just so passable and skippable. I'm interested to see what you guys think about it. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I have to see that, and I have to see Citizen Ruth. I haven't seen that either. Yeah, so Citizen Ruth is better than this. Um, okay. 
real quick i did also forget about a documentary that i watched i watched dick johnson is dead um and i watched that as well yeah highly 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 recommend yeah i didn't um, know you watched it sam yeah i didn't log a review of it um because i was too busy crying at the movie <laughs> um but it was i don't love it i don't love the style they took it with actually but the the person it's about is is truly just a wonderful wonderful man and um if that movie doesn't get you choked up, I don't know what will. It's it's pretty great. So earlier we were as a as a unit of film bros thinking of the number of movies that we have seen during this quarantine time. And I received a text from our very own film bro, Sam Maricalio, asking Hi, Samir. how many movies that I may have watched over the over the quarantine um period, which I don't know. Is it over? Is it still going on? But so far, since this thing started, I hope it's still going on for you. Yeah, it's certainly not over. <laughs> you guys well, I mean, just stopped doing it, right? <laughs> well, the lockdown period has been lifted. So I thought you were talking about like strict national lockdown. Well, but I, I didn't. I didn't interpret it like that, anyways. So wear a mask. Three times. I'm not making this number up. Or one of you says I did. Dane's covering our ass with that one. <laughs> the number of movies that I've seen since March was exactly 69. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Not a shot. But I refuse to believe that. Miracle, miracle. Oh my um, god. That's the only good thing to come out of 2020. I think so. I think it might be. I should probably stop watching all movies this year. <laughs> it was a good run. I agree, dude. <laughs> it's going to be hard for Nomadland to hold out, but I think it's worth it. or mank yeah Ori had an impressive number which was 179 179 what a loser wow what a total dork how many of those were anime films (laughs) or what i said how many of those were anime films i was gonna call you a (laughs) Yeah, I mean, probably like three. I mean, Grave of the Fireflies was one of them. I watched that. Um, or was that Shit one on of them? It. Yeah, I think it was. No, actually, that that I watched, I think, back in like December. Um, so really, if there was anime films, it's probably because I got HBO Max and they have all the Studio Ghibli movies on there. So I yeah. did watch um, Princess Mononoke, which I like. Um, and a couple other Miyazakis. I always like the Miyazakis. They're the only anime films I can keep up with. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking of watching all the Ghibli. Like I've seen a couple, but I'm thinking of watching all the Studio Ghibli movies for this two month Christmas break that we have. Especially Kiki's Delivery Service. That looks bomb. Oh, I watched that as well. That's an adorable movie. I'm just gonna chime in real quick. Haven't have you got have you three seen? I'm pretty sure all three of you haven't seen Akira. I what day and day and I tried to watch the first ten minutes, but it was. It was 1 p.m. on a Sunday, and I just had to be at a nighttime mood to watch that movie. So. Yeah, I've, I've been like, it's been on when I've been around it, and I've been baked, and it's kind of just been looking at it, but I can't say I've ever sat down to watch it. Corey, I think that in and of itself is like a good enough. I mean, the story is great too, but the sheer visuals of that movie, like, yeah, just it, it, like baked or something, just looking at it, like, you're getting like eight tenths of the experience, I'd say. I did. Yeah, I mean, like the motorcycles look dope. Yeah, every like the detail of like the world, like the environment around it. It came out in the '80s. Like that's crazy. 
It looked like yeah. a Mad Max Fury Road wannabe, honestly, Dane. <laughs> hey, listen, just before we change topics, I was going to talk about Akira. And I had a lot lined up, so Today. I encourage you guys to watch it so I could talk about it at some point. Okay, I would love to. I would love to. He's been holding, he's been holding this nut for like I have months. been. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's brought this up in like like September. And yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, Samir, if you want to know how many movies I've watched. Okay, Sam, Mary Calio, <laughs> how many movies have you seen since quarantine began? Thanks for asking, Samir. Um, I have seen exactly 78 films uh, during the quarantine, uh, not counting rewatches or miniseries or TV shows. I like the footnote. Um, yeah, it's very important to me that I'm exact about what I've watched. Um, and I'm hoping to get to 100 throughout this. Honestly, I think we're all probably going to watch a disgusting amount of movies during this winter break. Um, I haven't kept track of movies I've been watching. It's definitely over 50, but I do know that I'm sure Sam probably would hate. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's safe to say. I just don't really respect you as a person or a critic, Dane. So I'm glad you I'm glad you remembered that. So getting into the meat of today's episode, I wanted to recap the famous story of Thanksgiving, and it's one that's enchanted many for ages. The story goes something like the white settlers sat down with the native (laughs) Indians to discuss the things that they were thankful for. And today's very episode is modeled off of that very story with the white film bros sitting down with the Indian to discuss films that we are, in fact, very thankful for. (laughs) We We will each be discussing and debating our individual guilty pleasure movies, and we will be discussing why we are personally thankful for them. Um, and... I'm very interested to see where this discussion goes because obviously talking about movies that other people hate and that we like uh, should make for some nice and spirited discussion and debate. So if that all sounds good, does anybody want to start us off? Um, I guess I could go. I feel I feel pretty passionate about this movie and it's gotten brought up. Once or twice already, but we haven't really dove into my opinions on this movie. I just want to say um, before I start, I'm thankful for nothing. I'm especially not thankful for any of you guys. Um, and mostly importantly, I'm not thankful for movies. Um, I find movies to be horrible. Haven't really enjoyed many of them, which makes it hard to find a movie that I like more than other people because I just don't like movies to begin with. Um, well, the goodness is the we one know Sam's movie... incapable of expressing his emotions, so he means the opposite of everything he says. <laughs> classic dose of intoxicating honesty from Sam. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, I really do appreciate all of you, and I'm very thankful for movies, yada, yada, yada. Not whatever. Um, but not Dane. Continuing. <laughs> um, I feel we... like I'm the most thankful. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to go with a hot take. A24 film productions is nowhere near as big as it is today without the movie that I'm about to talk about. 
which is Spring Breakers. That's my hot take. We'll discuss that opinion shortly. Without Spring Breakers and the buzz that it drew from it being both a box office success. I'm going to look that up real quick. It might have not been. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to make an un- I'm going to make a claim and then check it out. I'm going to make it. Okay, so it was a mediocre success. It made 31 million. How much was the Oh, it doesn't matter what the budget was. They probably made money on that. A24 movies are not spending more than 30 million. Yeah. The only thing so, I that tells me everything I need to know about the movie is that online it says that there is a featured song and that is Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites by Skrillex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's I a, remember a that montage. scene all too well, unfortunately. It's a, it's a montage scene with Skrillex playing in the background. So what I think about Spring Breakers is that it is a movie that just goes for it. And it does not play it safe at any moment throughout the movie it um okay just join that was weird um do i think this is the best movie ever made yes do i think every other movie compared to this is bad yes but (laughs) but i on a on a wholly serious note because i'm such a serious person um i think that spring breakers um is just a really fun movie and people read way too into this movie. Um, I don't think film bros love to talk about like what it says about the American dream or anything like that. And first off, the American dream is dead, um, which is my one woke opinion of the podcast. And secondly, I don't think Harmony Corinne intended for this movie to be interpreted that way. I think this is a fever dream of a spring break trip gone wrong that is highly stylized. Um, I think, honestly, this movie, I would, I'm going to say it. I think it set the trend for how a lot of other movies were filmed throughout this time. It's very soaked in neon, like, drive. Lots of lens flares. Um, very slow-mo on, like, you know, like, think of how many teen movies now show, like, a close-up of a party, like a Red Solo cup on the ground after a party. Like, Spring Breakers was one of the first movies to do something like that. Um, a highly stylized teen action movie um, that is just fun throughout. And honestly, I'm surprised this movie got shit on as hard as it did. It was an easy target because of how James Franco acts and how pretentious it can come off at times wait which we can agree he it's a terrible performance from james franco right or do you view that no 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 well i don't i don't view it as a good okay my opinion on james franco's performance in spring breakers is it's completely over the top like the entire movie is because how often do we watch a movie like this that just plays it so completely safe and has you know a bad guy that is like you know you could pick from a hundred different movies there is no performance or character like alien in spring breakers because he's just so off the fucking wall and is it a great performance yes is it the best performance of the year yes so here's my question for you sam is um because my gripe about this movie because i agree with you i appreciate you saying that it's not 
this profound or even really all that meaningful movie because it's definitely not. I think Harmony Korine just kind of likes to show these sort of fringe characters and let them run wild. But what I'm surprised about, and I'd like to hear you sort of differentiate, is why on our last episode you pointed out American Honey as such a terrible film. Now, I haven't seen American Honey. Maybe there's an obvious difference that I'm missing. But what I think Spring Breaker's biggest sin is, is that it's really fucking boring. For a movie that's as like bonkers as it, as it seems to be, nothing happens and none of the characters are interesting or remotely developed. And it's it just feels like a lot of aimless meandering, which I sometimes can enjoy in a film, but don't find that happening in Spring Breakers uh, at all. And I, I, I that's what I really don't like about it. And I I didn't think you liked that in a lot of movies either, but maybe there is a difference here that I'm sort of missing. Okay, so the reason why American Honey is the worst film ever made and Spring Breakers is the best film ever made is because um, I think... American Honey is very heavy-handed in its message, and it, it I think, fully leans into trying to say something about society, whereas I think Spring Breakers doesn't say anything about anything, and more or less is just uh, girls going through Miami or whatever gross part of Florida they're in, and just walking around and meeting new new characters, and I disagree that the characters are boring. Gucci Mane, the Trap Lord himself, the East Atlanta Saint, is in this movie. <laughs> and Corey, it sounds like you're very anti Gucci Mane, and I just want to know well, where okay. that where that comes from. Too, so. Okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead. So, my first <laughs> thing is when you talked about Drive, all you talked about how, how was the movie had no substance, and if you're saying this is a movie about nothing. Then why no, do you like this, this is... overdrive? No, because follow this wait. Movie was... I have a follow no, up question. Shut up, Dane. <laughs> you go, Dane. So, also, what what sets this movie apart from like a Project X type movie or like a the party movie like that? Oh my God, this movie is okay. Even if you don't like this movie, this movie is nowhere near. This movie is nowhere near as bad as Project X, which was horrible in every sense of the word. It's not, but when you talk about Spring Breakers being influential, I find its influence popping up more in a Project X type movie than I do in, like, you know, I definitely don't credit the success of A24 to Spring Breakers, nor Uh, do I think any of the film techniques we've seen in successful indie films, uh, I don't think they stemmed at all from something like Spring Breakers. I think it is more of the, like, the the Project X type, like, inappropriate romp type movie that that uh, he's inspired. I think it's it's interesting that our theme is Thanksgiving um, because Thanksgiving nowadays is wrapped up in the history and how will history actually remember. And history will remember both me and this movie <laughs> as being the most influential A24 movie of its time. And that's how history will remember it. And I'm not here to d- say that history is wrong, Corey. Sam. Don't. And fr- Sam. <laughs> frankly, I've made zero counterpoints. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's becoming self-aware. <laughs> so the question I have for you, um, and I'm curious to see your answer to this, is that like, you're saying that it's just like a not 
you know, a movie, just like a relaxed, fun movie about like high school girls um, that just is not meant to be taken seriously. I just, for me, the first kind of checking off point was um, why are they, you know, they, they obviously have a tendency for evil. Like they mug and rob people in the movie. Um, and I didn't really think that was explained that well. Outside of the so I'm not talking about like I really despise the style of the movie. Um, but I mean that's just like I guess a personal thing. But from like a story perspective, I didn't understand that like at all. Um, and the other thing about this movie um, was that do you really find that it's that influential? Because dude, I actually do. Like I I know I'm like I know no 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 you're wrong. It's fine, but you're wrong. But like I do, I do genuinely think this movie spurred a lot. This this movie was also like one of the first like, I know you guys probably didn't have Twitter back then, but this was like memed into oblivion, and we and you don't see movies prior to this movie getting memed all that hard, and this movie was getting memed all the time, and if it's a good or a bad thing, it completely changed the discourse because this movie is never talked about for the actual plot. Like, when you're bringing up, like, the sinisterness of the girls, no one has ever fucking cared about that. They care about the fact that James Franco speaks like, um, what's his name? What's his name? The Riff Raff. They care about the fact that James Franco speaks like Riff Raff, and that is, for better or for worse, completely changed how movies are consumed by, um the internet age and by people around our age who care more about the memes and you know the cultural impact of this movie i'm not saying that this movie has had an insane cultural impact that it's completely changed how we experience movies um because it's simply not good enough to be that but i think this movie changed a lot of how people relate to specific characters and how um goofiness and like kind of like a goofiness that embrace a movie that embraces how ridiculous it is can succeed to others i just won the debate of like to your meme point i think it's the same discussion we were having about like the toby Maguire this thing during spider-man 3 um where that clip just keeps popping up everywhere on social media um and I think that's more an artifact of, like, meme culture itself. Like, some guy finds one clip, and then other people pick up on it because they think it's funny. Um, but I don't think it's coming from the fact that, like, everybody saw this movie and they're talking about that. Like, it's just, like, any other image that would, like, the guy from Target or something like that. Alex from Target. Like, just a random-ass image that just goes viral on social media. And it's not really, like, because of, like, the story or any merits of the movie itself. I think that's where we landed on that discussion in a previous episode. Um, what do you guys think? It was a long time ago. I don't remember. <laughs> well, we were talking about Spider-Man 3. It was last episode. Yeah. We were Spider-Man 3 and Tobey Maguire and him becoming a meme for that dancing down the street thing. Um, and you're saying James Franco's character, Alien, has been memed. But I think that's just because he looks ridiculous in the movie. And any screenshot. Dude, it's, enterta- it's entertaining though. I I'm shocked that you guys thought this movie was boring. I thought it was fun. No, I think it's it's incredibly boring. I, that, and that's my that's what bones me out the most. I mean, like, I'll say this for Harmony Corinne, right? Like, 
I think his movies always get a strong reaction. We were, we were just saying this about Aronofsky before. He, I think Corinne's another director who his his movies will always get a strong reaction because he sort of focuses on those people that we that society might consider like trashy, you know, or just kind of outsiders. Um, and so people are are often, I think, with this film that was true. People are almost like repulsed by some of what it depicts, and I think that's where a lot of the hate it it, it got came from. But what I don't think people talk about enough is that it's just actually really fucking boring. Like, I wish that I felt um, a strong reaction the whole time. I wish I felt disgusted. I wish I felt, like, in love with these characters. But I actually just felt nothing. Cause, and I felt this way about uh, The Beach Bum, too. I don't know if you guys saw that, his most recent movie. Uh, but that was another one where I, I was like, I want to feel one way or the other, whether I hate it or I love it. And I actually just feel nothing. I don't know what it is about his directing style to me. That just creates a lot of disinterest on the part of the viewer, despite its subject matter hinging so heavily on our interest. Okay, so it sounds like we all like the movie then, right? Um, well, I think, I think we've reached a solid consensus that Sam has resoundingly and embarrassingly lost his debate. Let the record show that... Uh, this is a <laughs> definitive loss for Sam Maricalio. <laughs> and, uh, yep. In history, that would be my first that. loss on this podcast. Yeah, so, at least that you can admit it. That hurts really <laughs> bad. At least you can admit it. Um, but, Sam, zero, world one. Dane, do you <laughs> want to go ahead with your movie? Absolutely. All right. Hey, hey don't, don't swear, swear on this show. <laughs> All right. So. Let me just say, the movie that I picked, I fucking love. And I'll get into that more. Oh God, it sounds terrible. Um, but I'm gonna do a little reveal by reading a, a review that was the first review to pop up on Google, and this review was written by Cuddly Zan. Most believe that men such as Picasso, Leonardo da Vinci, Van Gogh, and William Shakespeare were true artists and some of the best the human race had to offer. But little did they know something far greater and more powerful than anything a normal human being could ever comprehend would spawn into being in the year 2004. And that was none other than the god known as Shaggy's second film, Shaggy's Goo 2 Cthulhu Unleashed, my movie is Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I did watch this. I just need to, I just need to watch the highlights. So, this movie is important to me, and I'm very thankful for it because it was a movie that I watched a ton whenever I was a kid. But I would be lying if I said I didn't watch it now because I still watch this movie today and laugh just as hard as I, whenever I watched it as a kid. Um, I mean, a little background. So director Raja uh, Gosnell directed this and James Gunn actually wrote the script for this movie. James Gunn also wrote Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Slither. But, okay. Honestly, what the review said, uh, Matthew Lillard's shaggy performance, groundbreaking, phenomenal. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. Linda, Linda Cardinelli... Also a phenomenal Velma. The scene when she walks down the steps in the in the go-go suit and she says, Who's your mommy? Is phenomenal. Um, 
I also can quote this movie <laughs> from beginning to end. Um, so we should watch it sometime. Uh, another <laughs> phenomenal scene is whenever Scooby and Shaggy go and post out the faux ghost bar to try and find Old Man Winkle. And they end up finding him. But when they enter in there and Scooby's got the wig on and Shaggy's in the green jumpsuit, in the green suit, it is just so entertaining and so funny. The score is so good. It has some very adult humor in it that you would not pick up on as a kid. And I commend the movie for that. I think it ages well. Shaggy is a stoner, a huge stoner in the movie. And that's they. whenever he's walking up the, the steps in the beginning, all the stoners can smell him coming because of his strong weed scent. Um, yeah, I, I could just keep rambling and rambling about this movie because Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed is an all-time favorite of mine. Dane, there's no way you think this, the live-action Scooby-Doo's have aged well. I there's, there's no, no way. way. I, I, I watched, watched the first one listen, and was blown away listen, by how bad it was. I, 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 hey, did I say the first one? I said the second <laughs> one. He was very clear, Sam. I, Monsters Unleashed is by far the better movie. And I honestly haven't seen the first one since I was a kid. And It was horrible. No, no, no. Yeah, have you seen the sequel? I've seen the second one. I remember, like, there's like flying, there's like flying monsters in the second one, right? Like pterodactyls, right? Yeah, it's the pterodactyl ghost. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it's a great choice. I think a a guilty pleasure pick like this also just highlights just how awful, not to to bring it back, but just how awful Sam's pick was. <laughs> What? Right? Because you, I think these kinds of films are are the ones that um that do stand the test of time. When a movie like Spring Breakers is bad, it's bad because it's fucking bad. You know what I mean? That's what like, I'm saying. When a movie like Scooby Doo Two is bad, that's the exact ridiculous. kind of thing we can revisit and realize. Um, you know, it had a lot of. I, I agree with a lot of the humor that that works for um different age groups and maybe even different times of your life. I think that's part of why it might age well. Um, and I'm also kind of a sucker for like bad CGI. Like I actually, especially like any of the like sort of CGI and special effects that we got in the early two thousands in movies that um, certainly haven't aged well in terms of the technology. I actually tend to look really fondly back at a lot of that. Uh, and, and I feel that way about, about Scooby-Doo and a lot of the other um, effects in, in, in this film. Yeah, I think so. That movie came out in two thousand four, right? Yes. For me, like you know, just like PTA and Quentin Tarantino are obsessed with the seventies. For me, oh my god, I will be so obsessed with the time period of two thousand and two to two thousand and nine. I feel like that is the golden period of everything, entertainment, art for me. Like it's so the opposite. Dude, it is the I most love devoid of meaning and and passion and anything good. No, Samir, I think you make a really interesting point because it, it is, especially for people our age, a time that, because I agree, I find, I feel a very intense nostalgia for that time that I can't quite explain because I, I technically agree with Sam that it's not like it was actually the peak of anything artistic and yet I find myself very drawn to that, that period in time. I don't know if you can help me work through that. It's just, I don't know, like, so much that, like, like, everything, every piece of art, music, 
film whatever TV shows that came out during then have like this like very specific like I don't even know how to describe it like it's just nostalgia it's literal this movie is literal nostalgia glasses guys this movie's not good can you see because I I can't see animated movies like Shrek being made again that have like those same adult jokes in them that people can enjoy later um and that's that's exactly what's going to mind that yeah like that's just one example that comes to mind or um i don't know like the emperor's new groove like i don't know how to describe that movie but i know that movies like that were being made at that time and they can't don't smear don't you dare equate scooby-doo 2 to emperor's new groove which is a masterpiece animated film no I think I think Dane is onto something here though, where um, Scooby Doo Two, it, and it's 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 in line with what Samir's talking about. Where we, I don't know if we'll ever get another adaptation like this. I mean, first of all, now we're sort of uh, in the realm of just adapting for the sake of adapting. There used to be this idea that like if we're gonna adapt Scooby Doo to live action, we have to acknowledge the fact that that's fucking ridiculous. And these movies sort of do that. Um, through their casting, through the like intentionally cartoonish acting, uh, you don't really get that anymore. I mean, I didn't watch it, but think of like the that Scoob animated film that we got earlier this year. That was it was criticized for I I believe it referenced things like TikTok or I just I just remember it it got criticized for referencing like very you know like of the time uh, type things, and I, that kind of that kind of stuff doesn't work well because it cheapens the source material. There was something about what was made in this 2004 you know era uh, you know time that had a lot of more love for for its source material and i think scooby-doo again is a great example of that these movies are kind of absurd but they also clearly love the cartoons that they're based off of and that's to me when i watch an adaptation of of books that i love of shows that i love of whatever it might be you just want to feel that love for the source material and i think at the very least these films do that tell when that passion is there like right, in right. movies like knives out or um the lego movie like they're just brimming with like passion for like things that they are like kind of inspired by in the yeah. case of knives yeah. out it's like these 70s detective thrillers that it just really is so inspired by that the lego movie obviously um the lego yeah I, that's I, that's what i'm saying i mean i think Scooby-Doo 2, it was adapted for people who watched Scooby-Doo as a, as a kid. Now you're older, you, you understand some new stuff. And I still think it holds up today. And also going back to the thing you said about like dating the movie, and the movie certainly feels 100% like it's in the two, early 2000s. Um, an example of that is the ending of the movie is actually the entire cast um, singing along with Ruben Stuttered who won American Idol in 2003 and <laughs> is n- not an I like a pop culture figure anymore. Yeah. That's just, that's I'm, I'm pretty sure he won in 2003. I might be wrong. Um, I thought that's what I just saw. I thought he was a finalist or something. No, I remember when he won. He was... I remember when he won. It was... Uh... It was it looks very exciting. <laughs> it was the second... It was like the second or third season, right? Yeah. Yeah, because Kelly Clarkson won first. Jordan Sparks was years later. 
That was like when we were like in fourth or fifth grade. I think Ruben Stutter was the second. I believe the third. Wasn't that Fantasia who won? Remember Fantasia? Fantasia? I, I think I so. Fantasia's purple. Yeah. And and the song that is sung at the end is, is Superstar. Um, which, give that a listen after this and you will be blasted to the past. Really hard. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm down whenever we can all hang out to get together and watch some Scooby-Doo too, and I can perform the entire movie for you guys because I think you all would fancy that. I am gonna hold you to nothing more, Dane. Yeah, give it a watch, but through my eyes. Dane director cut (laughs) (laughs) with running commentary the entire time. Also, another little hidden gem in that movie is Seth Green. Um, little, little Seth Green, real, real funny, real, real funny in the movie. Um, well, we just had a 15 minute discussion on Scooby-Doo 2, and it was a much better discussion than Sam's movie, Spring Breakers. Let the record show. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Even though I picked a movie that is very critically, uh, shat on, we still found a way to come back to shat on Sam. Yeah, this is this is literally what would have happened if we switched the movies. <laughs> Everyone would have been like, "Spring Breakers really tried to say something and was actually very inventive." And go you know, Scooby Doo too. Everyone goes, "Scooby Doo too." You like the mid two thousands? You're a fucking idiot, Sam. I see right through all of you. You know, and it's honestly, funny because I thought about that. I, I I tried to to check my bias at the door and say maybe it is just because I hate Sam to to my core, but. <laughs> To be, I really do think this is a case where Spring Breakers is just that shitty of a film. So it, it is a shame that, that you had to pick it of all people, but it just worked out that way, you know? Yeah, it probably made you really sad that I picked that movie, Yeah, Corey. it really bummed me out that I had to shit on you, man. <laughs> well, we're, we're left with uh, Corey Stillman and myself. Corey or I can go. Do you think that you have a bombshell because I'm not. I'm not sure that I have something particularly bombshell. No, nah, I would. I don't think mine's a bombshell. I'll, I can go now. Um, and I'm. I, I really. I hope. I'm hoping you guys have seen it. It was. It was pretty popular when this came out. It's. It's. It is a superhero film. Um, one that, but it's kind of like a fringe superhero movie. I think I know what you're gonna say, Corey. Really? Because if, if if I can guess correctly, I think. I also like this movie. You get a kiss. You get a kiss on the cheek. I'd be really impressed if you guessed it because this is a of all the superhero movies out there. This is it. Definitely is kind of a, sits on the outskirts of the genre. But I am talking about 2011's The Green Hornet. Have you guys seen this movie? Yes, I have. With it's Seth Rogen. This movie is fantastic. I will say. Shut up, Dane. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I would no, love continue, to hear. Please, please finish, Dan. Don't don't listen to Sam. I, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I do remember not being like blown away from it, but in terms of taking an interpretation, like a new interpretation of a superhero, they r- really did a good job with it. And honestly, Seth Seth Green was pretty damn funny in the movie. Um, yeah. Not Seth Green. I'm going back to Scooby Doo. Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm always someone who, who, I don't know, all my favorite superhero movies tend to be the ones that are considered the worst. I mean, I mentioned, I think it was on last week's episode, I mentioned how I love Ang Lee's Hulk. Uh, I love a lot of the, I mean, I, some of my, I mean, I love all the X-Men movies, but I actually even liked last year's Dark Phoenix, despite the fact that that got destroyed. Um, so I, I always just kind of like these like shitty superhero movies. But the Green Hornet is one that I find to be doing something really, really different. Uh, I'll admit, I was not that familiar with the source material going into this film, so I was really sort of able to just evaluate it as kind of its own little thing. Seth Rogen as a superhero sounds absurd, I think, to most of us, and in some ways it is. Uh, but it injects the film with a lot of comedy, though, you know, the kind of comedy we've come to expect from Seth Rogen. Um, but there's some, even better things about this film. Seth Rogen falls in love with Cameron Diaz in this movie. This is 2011, guys. We were all in love with Cameron Diaz in 2011. Don't tell me you weren't. That was peak Cameron Diaz time in 2011. He is faced with his arch nemesis in the form of Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz, fresh off the heels of Inglorious Bastards, gives an incredible, incredible performance as the villain in The Green Hornet. I could go on about this impressive cast, but what really makes the film so great is its direction. Do you guys know who uh, the director of Green Hornet is? His name is Michelle Gondry. Do you guys know what Michelle Gondry directed? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, he he's best known for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think we well, can all agree my ass. is a wonderfully directed film. He's clearly a talented director who, throughout his career, has had a lot of hits and a lot of misses, but he's never played it safe. He's always tried to do something different, and that is no exception with The Green Hornet. What my what I think can ruin any superhero film, what I tend not to like about a lot of superhero slash action films, is the action itself. I think there's a sort of unwritten set of rules on how to film it, and every film tends to follow it, but not The Green Hornet, and certainly not Michelle Gondry. He decides to randomly slow down the action at random points in this film. It just moves in slow motion for no reason. Uh, he creates these insane set pieces where entire floors of buildings collapse onto one another and it doesn't really make sense why and it doesn't even necessarily uh work out from a physics perspective but it just looks really really cool and he frames it in some really cool ways uh and it it blends this nice amount of action with comedy and again these just really strange sort of techniques that certainly feel at home in a film like eternal sunshine but may not in a film like the green hornet and yet it just works anyway because this entire film is says fuck it we're a superhero movie with seth rogan in the lead and we're just gonna go for it and that's why i love this movie it's f funny you talk about like the action um because I, I looking up now the guy that played kato um his name is jay chow and i certainly remember his performance in the movie because he is a pretty big badass and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I actually think Bruce Lee played Kato in the yeah, Green Hornet a, TV show. Yeah. Yeah, he's the original. Um and I do think he actually did a pretty good job with that. But anyway, what I was getting to is there was one scene in the movie that for some reason I've never been able to forget it. And Kato in the movie makes latte art. And the way that they're shot, it's it's it it it, it, it him making latte art is shot so just, it, I don't know, it just made me feel really warm on the inside. And for some reason, I can just picture him making 
latte art with that huge machine in the movie. Yeah. But that yeah, that's that's my uh that's my piece is the latte. Yeah, that that's all Gondry. Another another thing like I I should explain a little bit cuz Samir and Sam, I guess you guys haven't you haven't seen The Green Hornet? No. So listen to this premise cuz this really is I think a very inventive sort of take on the superhero genre. You have you have a uh, Britt Reed, who is our main character, played by Seth Rogen, and he's your classic sort of rich playboy type, you know, kind of like a Bruce Wayne, but he doesn't decide to, you know, take up the mantle of the Green Hornet for any noble cause. He just thinks it'll be fucking fun, and he thinks it'll be a good way to stir up some trouble. So he actually stages the crimes himself. He goes out to a statue, and he beheads the statue, and then, because there is now a crime that needs to be taken care of, he can now go out as the Green Hornet with Cato, his his crime fighting sidekick, and, and go to work. That's a pretty unique take on the genre. We're we're so used to these superheroes that take themselves seriously, but not only does this movie not take itself seriously, the Green Hornet himself does not take himself that seriously because he he views this whole thing as just some kind of joke, which to be honest is a lot closer to what I would expect a superhero in real life to behave like. I wouldn't expect this sort of brooding batman type i'd expect a green hornet who is just rich and kind of an asshole and is just gonna go out and do stupid shit and demolish entire buildings for no particular reason so why did this movie get panned uh because i frankly this movie i don't think it's uh shocking to say this is a fairly forgettable movie from the grand scheme of things i don't think many people talk about this film i i vaguely remember it releasing yeah it's a good question. I, I never fully understood why it was as pan as it did. I think a lot of people felt Seth Rogen just wasn't very good in the lead role. I think a lot of people felt like he couldn't carry this kind of uh, more action-oriented role. I think a lot of people felt that it was like tonally inconsistent. All the reasons that I say I found it really fun and kind of hilarious. I think a lot of people felt that it it was very uneven moving back and forth from a sort of action superhero movie to to a comedy. Uh, and I also think that, I mean, Michel Gondry throughout his career has had a lot of movies get critically panned because I think he does kind of do those little stylistic flares that can be distracting if they're not supported by, say, like a, Carly, or a Charlie Kaufman script. So I think that was the case here. But... I think it works. I, I I'll always appreciate a director who's trying to do something different as long as uh is it's it's somewhat backed up by the script, which in this case I think it is. I believe Seth Rogen might have even I don't know if he wrote it or at least contributed as a writer to it. I should look that up because I don't wanna Yeah, Seth Rogen wrote this one with Evan Goldberg. So this falls right in there with all of his other, you know, successful scripts that he's produced over the years. So in some ways, this is Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg getting probably the most dynamic director they've had to direct one of their scripts. I mean, he's definitely a more exciting director than a Judd Apatow or any of these others that, that they've worked with over the years. So in some ways, this is the, the, the peak of what Rogan and Goldberg have done over the years, just in terms of, of uh, really pushing the creative envelope. And I think maybe one theory that I have is that Michelle Gondry said in an interview about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind um, that the script, the original script that he got from Charlie Kaufman was like this, like sea of weeds. Like 
and he had to go in and like lawn mow that and like completely just like de-densify like the loopy mess that charlie kaufman handed him um and we got the great movie that we have today so maybe it could have been that evan goldberg and stats rogan wrote like a really funny script and maybe michelle gondry's intervention um resulted in in maybe a not so great final product uh or it could be that just evan goldberg and seth rogan you know they sometimes you hit and sometimes you miss and this one at least in the eyes of many people was a miss um because i know seth rogan always says that like he literally just (laughs) obviously hits a bong and then thinks of something and then if he keeps talking about it a month later then it gets made into a movie because he has that much money and power that honestly if something that he just likes and he wants to make happens it happens um hence sausage party because imagine an indie director pitching that to literally anyone um but that happened (laughs) it it made millions at the box office um one of the most successful movies that year i think uh at least in terms of animation probably i personally really like sausage party um but i think that he's bad I, I like that movie. I don't, what do you guys think? What yeah, is the, I thought I the douche the say, like, but... got a good juiced or something like that? It was <laughs> yeah, just I, mean, I, I, won't, it was... I won't lie. I, I would definitely watch it now and still laugh, but uh, I would probably rank it at the very bottom of... If you are, if I were to rank all the Rogan and Goldberg efforts, I, I would imagine... I mean, I, I love This is the End. I think I'd put that above so it. So funny. I love Superbad, obviously. Um, I like I said, I love the Green Hornet. I like Pineapple Express. I'd probably put all of those above Sausage Party. The only one that I really hated more than Sausage Party was the interview. I thought the interview was really bad. I thought I thought Knocked Up was pretty terrible as well. I don't know if you've seen that. Not terrible, not terrible, but just not nearly as good as the others. You know what's criminally underseen is uh the night before. Have you guys seen that one? it's a christmas movie right yeah like yeah i've never seen it throw it up so some reason it never really got the momentum that all the other comedies did but i think that one's actually uh very funny and soon to be very timely perhaps we can watch it for a future episode or something yeah we need a we need to do a live commentary episode yeah um after our scooby-doo 2 one of course yeah right after the dance version count me out for that Wait, before you reveal yours, Samir, though, I'm just curious, what, what superhero movie did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say the 2008 masterpiece, Hancock, which is a Will Smith I, I actually... But that's, like, that's like kind of like, though. I thought you were going like, to say Hancock, say that's too. Uni- I wouldn't say that's universally panned. Well, I, I guess we weren't really going off ratings, but I didn't think people liked that movie. Yeah, I don't think people like it very much, either. I, I would, If you chose that, I would, I would agree that it's... It's a it's different uh, guilty California. pleasure. It had some appeal where Sam grew up. Like everyone liked Hancock, but I don't know on the East Coast, people hate. Oh yeah, so it's a geographic it thing. It has to be. It has to Make be. me feel more ostracized this episode, will ya? <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah, I know my life is so hard. You you poor Palo Alto character. Shut up. Sam is gonna go on a rant about his California childhood. Oh, one one Cor- movie. Corey that just I wants to wake up in Synecdoche, New York one day so he can 
give top to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Speaking of Palo Alto, tell me I'm wrong. Speaking of Palo Alto, we because we referenced it on last week's episode, and we and then we were talking about James Franco later in the episode, and we never made a connection that he directed Palo Alto, and now here we are today, and Sam can't shut up about how amazing James Franco was as a riffraff wannabe is, in Spring oh Breakers. God. And I don't know, now we're talking about these uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg movies where James Franco obviously has a presence. We're, we must be a James Franco podcast, whether we like it or not, guys. Yeah, we I was going to say, really very like, subconsciously, I think we we all have a secret desire for James Franco. Yeah. It's like, it's our, like our Oscars, Oscars obsession. obsession. And Spider-Man 3, I talked about that last time, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's, he's probably the most mentioned artist so far, which means... We've completely failed this <laughs> yeah. podcast up until this point. It's That's like you know really how on, you know if you're, you guys have Amazon Prime. You know on Amazon Prime, if you were to watch something, it tells you all the people that are in that scene. If like while you're while you're yeah. watching it, we need a feature for so our podcast cool. where you just know everyone who's who's relating to any conversation we're having. <laughs> that way, that way we we would never make the Seth Green Seth Rogen mistake again. We, we would just know. Yeah, Dane, you really fucked up with that. <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there all right samir okay so i couldn't contain myself and i cheated a little bit i'm sorry and i picked two movies um you're so annoying <laughs> samir refuses to do things normally it's just like samir was samir when faced with the opportunity to do something in a short amount of time or do something in a long amount of time <laughs> has taken the long amount of time every single time only way well without wasting too much of your time i'm gonna talk about my first movie and that is she's way out of my league this movie so the first the first connection i have with this movie wait is this uh, one with oh, jay barishow yeah, yeah, no it's the one with uh what's his name jay yeah jay barishow and al yeah Elise eve so Baruchel's so fucking annoying. <laughs> I like Jay Baruchel because this he's so fucking annoying. I think it's kind of yeah, like his whole uh, shtick, you know. This movie came out in 2010, and it is dubbed as a romantic comedy, which is probably a correct label. Um, and you know, it it came and went as one of those like when Redbox was like a big thing, like you'd see it whenever you're going into a Walmart on like one of those Redbox things, super passable like mainly an airplane watch um for me you know i have a special experience with this movie because sophomore year i just failed to shit i have an organic chemistry to exam it was a super big exam it was like our big midterm would determine your grade in the class and sid jaram a friend of ours sat next to me the whole time was being so annoying during the whole exam um at I, I I blame my poor performance entirely on him, in fact. Uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, after that exam, I just was so completely drained. I went from straight to the Chevron Science Building, um, straight down to Roots, grabbed myself an El Jefe with tofu, in fact, and lime sauce, um, ran back to Bouquet Gardens, and the only thing on my mind was that, no, I don't want to watch a Criterion movie. No, I don't want to watch an IMDb Top 250 movie. 
And no, Corey, I do not want to watch a Letterboxd 1000 uh, narrative feature film movie. Yeah, take that, Corey. <laughs> because That's done. I, I, I say Corey because the weekend before, Corey was talking about the... I had never heard of Letterboxd before Corey, so maybe this turned out to be a compliment to Corey rather than an insult towards him, but... I'm a prophet of the box. Anyways, I knew at that moment <laughs> I did not want to watch anything critically acclaimed. So I went on Netflix and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play Netflix roulette. And I clicked on something and it was She's Way Out of My League. And I don't know what it was, but throughout that entire movie, I was just so like, I wasn't bored by any of it. It was just completely entertaining. It was funny. It was a light romantic comedy. Like who, who doesn't enjoy those? And the kicker for me was that the entire movie is filmed and set in Pittsburgh, um, which is for our dedicated listeners where I was born and brought up, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the coolest <sighs> thing, one of the cool things about the movie is that growing up, like um, I was able to attend like a like some city theater productions, and in this movie, a lot of the cast are Pittsburgh actors. So like. For like random roles, they brought in people that I would see like live perform in plays, um, which I thought was just really interesting and fun to see, especially for like a movie that gets like attention like this. Because when it comes out, it's just kind of like a ton of people watch it who don't really have any interest in movies, and then it just kind of dies down. Um, but I don't know. It's just because of that, maybe the context or whatever. Uh, it's it's always held like a special. I don't know for me um it turns out that the budget of this movie was 20 million dollars and it did gross 50 million dollars so i guess the box office did agree with me um but it definitely was is not talked about in a good light and is critically panned so that was it's one of those like yeah because you know when we talk about like that this we're just earlier we're just talking about the early 2000s and I know this is 2011, but I still think it sort of falls under this umbrella. I feel like there was a long phase in especially rom-coms, but movies in general, where we just named movies after pre-existing phrases and then just made the movie. You know what I mean? Like, like what about a girl being out of your league? We'll call it, she's out of your league. You know what I mean? Like, like there's really not much creativity, but the premise does kind of write itself. And I do, I actually, I don't feel very strongly about this movie the way you do, but I do... I like Jay Baruchel. He was in a really good show called Man Seeking Woman, if you guys ever saw that. Yeah. A, it was a very funny comedy on FX. Um, and I think he plays the awkward character really well. So I think in that sense, this movie works. I don't remember being set in Pittsburgh, but I guess I had no connection to Pittsburgh when I saw it. Um, but that's interesting, because the other one that's set in Pittsburgh that's in a very similar vein is Zach and Mary Make a Zach Porno. Zach and Mary Make a Porno. <gasps> we almost said that at the same time. See, yeah, it came yeah. through as you guys said at the same time on my screen. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that's so cool. That one feels very Pittsburgh. That movie is way, way better than. Oh yeah, Zach and Mary making porn is very funny, and I think it's also has the best. Classic. But it has the best joke ever written, which is the I'd like Robinson a coffee, joke. please. Yeah, the Craig Robinson. I'd like it black. Okay, white. No, it says <laughs> Just... can I get a coffee black? And he says, can't you see I'm talking white? <laughs> <laughs> such a cla- such a classic joke. <laughs> um i think samir to your point about this movie um i watched this maybe like one night really late this came out like 2011 right 
2011. I watched this, like, late night one time with, like, a friend or two, like, at a sleepover or something. Um, I just think this movie came out at a time when so many light romantic comedies were being made. And, like, this movie just holds up very poorly versus others. Like, this can't hold a candle to, like, forgetting Sarah Marshall or... Um, there's, I honestly didn't watch a lot of rom-coms during this time, so I don't really know, but I, I do remember that this was a big time. Like we talked about Knocked Up, like Knocked Up was way bigger than this movie. Um, I think it probably just got lost in the shuffle. I don't know if people, maybe people were just tired of this kind of movie being made and that's why it got panned as hard as it did. It's probably not as egregious in the background. I also just don't think it had the star power of the others. I mean, Jay Baruchel isn't a huge name. And Alice Eve, I, I thought Alice Eve was, I remember thinking she was good in this movie, and she also had a decently sized role in uh, Star Trek, and she was pretty good in that, but she never took off, like, I, I don't know where she is nowadays, she really never made a career out of it, but I, I, you know what I mean, like, I think most of these, yeah, most of the movies in this genre were the big, uh, I mean, it was, it's honestly, it's, it's the Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and the whole Judd Apatow sort of umbrella. This is this this is this movie Judd Apatow? It might be or no. No. <laughs> Someone named Jim Field Smith. I think this might be his only movie. Um. Yeah, he doesn't. His Wikipedia page is sparse, and that tells me everything I need to know. But I read an interesting article about this, and curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Um. So they were saying that in like, there was like this small period from like 2008 to maybe 2012 where there was this small micro-trend in Hollywood called the dude-based romantic comedy. And that's when we got an upsurge of movies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, this movie, <laughs> Drill Bit Taylor. I, I was going to say I... Drill Bit. Wait, can I talk about Drill Pit Taylor real quick? Sam is going to talk about his uh, connections to the classic Drill Bit Taylor. Okay, so I have never seen Drill Bit Taylor, but I just want to say one of the main boys in Drill Bit Taylor bullied me at a party in LA when I was 15 years old. I was at my second cousin's party that they were hosting. Uh, both Nat and Alex Wolf, they're definitely listening to this podcast as we speak. Um, I was at, they were hosting a party and I just like really wanted to be, I was like really testing out being the funny guy and I just completely bombed that night. Like unfunny joke after unfunny joke really fucked that one up and the drill bit taylor kid was like this kid blows and then walked away and i've never been so like mad or just so embarrassed he was so dismissive of me and i literally like out loud was like drill bit taylor sucked ass <laughs> as he like walked away i was so like i was like who the fuck is this kid talking shit to me that that movie blew i didn't even need to see it I've, I've never it seen bad. it that is that is like but, very uh effortlessly like one of the meanest things a, i can imagine a person saying you know what i mean like it just, <laughs> he, he like, it just really yeah, cuts really the core he, he left you a and real I was like, life letterbox review just to your face <laughs> yeah i was like oh my god it was i literally like it's one of those memories of like you're trying to go to bed and you're like remember that horrible thing that happened to you 10 years ago that only you remember and you're like oh god i can't sleep now well you know um my favorite movie of that sort of uh, era that you're referring to is I Love You, Man. You, know that? you guys remember that movie? I Love You, Man is good. It's That's, really good. I really think, especially 
I remember like really feeling like affected by that movie, not just because it was funny, but I felt like it did, it had a lot to say about sort of like masculine friendships and um, just masculinity in general. Actually, I, I'm a huge fan of that movie. Yeah, I was really taken. Um, so Paul Rudd's character in that movie is this is this guy that's always like girls are drawn to him, which is obviously like I don't know, like I guess it's every heterosexual man's dream. But Everyone is, wants to be Paul Rudd, let's be honest. I would doesn't sell my soul to be Paul Rudd. Instantaneously, no doubt in my mind. But the thing is that he's just not great, or he struggles with forming male friendships, but, like, females are always just maybe as a... Like, it's not necessarily even as a romantic interest, even though he's successful in that area, too, but they just always want to be around him. Um, and I think that's just a super interesting, like, character. Like, there's so much you could do with that character. The yeah. movie, I think, is is good because of it, because it plays to that character really well. Like, I think Paul Rudd, like his whole career, he's just played great characters, man. Like, I don't know, like just everything that he's in is just such a cool character. Even Ant Man. Yeah, like I don't really my, like Ant Man, but I like Paul Rudd. In it. One of my favorite of my moments favorite for my loving man is loving when they uh, they do the jam session, but right before that, when you find out Paul Rudd plays bass and he goes. Slap it at a base. Slap it at a base. Yeah. <laughs> Such a Dane holds. Slap it at a base. To love. Aziz Ansari's in that movie for a really brief yeah. time. Yeah. I remember seeing him in it and I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> Why is he in this movie? Because <laughs> uh, I think this was before he was in Parks and Rec. So I was just like, huh. I didn't think stand up would lead to that. But um, yeah, good movie. And I'm trying to think of other movies that may have fallen in that micro trend. Uh, I pronounce you I mean, Chuck and Larry. You guys have seen that. Yeah, have you seen that movie? Seen. Yeah, I mean a a lot of the movies of that are kind of eh because, but I feel like the ones that really work work, and the only one that I can think of really works is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, I was gonna say I can't. I actually am shocked that you like I Love You Man more than Forgetting Sarah Marshall because. In the world of rom-coms... Wait, no, no. I, I love... I, I, I like Forgetting Sarah Marshall more. No, 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 no. I'm talking to Corey. Oh, oh. Like, I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is... Oh, it's fantastic. An, is an that. absolute masterpiece of a rom-com. I think that movie is so good. Yeah, oh, oh I love dang, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I just... Um, it's so funny. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good rom-com. I just think That's My Boy doesn't... Or not... That's My Boy. That's a great... <laughs> that's an awesome movie. Um... <laughs> Not in that umbrella. It's it's very something very distinctly Adam Sandler. Um, what movie was I? Oh, I love you, man. You're I, I always think thinking is, about Adam Sandler, is, uh, aren't you? Something just a little, little fresh and different. Okay, okay, cool. Samir, what is your second movie? Because you so oh, insist right. upon doing this second movie. So, the second movie of mine is the 1997 science fiction comedy. Nay, science fiction masterpiece, Flubber, starring Robin Williams. So, have you? I don't, I don't agree that this is pan. No, I, I have a lot. Yeah, I think, I think it's universally beloved throughout our generation. Well, I think, I think critics probably don't like this movie, but I think many a kids will actually very much in, like. This was always on at the gymnastics place that I would do gymnastics at, and one. One time, why I faked. I, faked so I don't know why that made me laugh. So I faked. I. 
Uh, yeah, my parents made me do gymnastics for like far too long. Like I don't know how what is like the the normal amount of doing gymnastics for as a as a boy, but like I think I was I overstayed my welcome maybe two or three years. And by the end of it, I was just so fucking done with gymnastics. I was not limber. I was not athletic. Um, I couldn't do anything that anyone else could do. And I would just fake. I would fake. I would fake injuries and then go into the waiting room. And Flubber was just always playing <laughs> on VHS. And I would just watch that movie over and over and over again. I think I'm. I mean, I don't know if you guys are willing to do this. Um, I always grew up with people shitting on this movie but i didn't know it was beloved well i guess we could still talk about it um might be a geographic thing yeah. Samir. I, I think <laughs> i think on the east coast they might have disliked it but on the west coast they loved it idiot i'll say i i like flubber um and <laughs> shut up sam um i don't know if you guys have ever heard of the youtube channel corridor digital but they are a special effects company and they react to special effects in movies and Hearing them talk about how revolutionary the special effects in Flubber were, specifically for Flubber, obviously, is is so interesting. Um, the a little tidbit, um, fun fact about Flubber. So you know the part whenever he stretches Flubber apart and then puts his face in it. That was improvised by Robin Williams, but the director oh, loved so the cool. cut. So he may love that take. So he made the special effects company like edit in, like animate some of the, the pieces in it. And it took them for like months to animate that one shot. And it was wow. all because of Robin Williams improvisation. Yeah. I, I did any of you guys like try and make Ublek ever? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've yeah. made Ublek. You made it for you, did you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Dan says, I didn't try. I did it. I did it. Yeah, I did it. You peasants. <laughs> I did the thing. Yeah, I don't this, try. Um, this, this movie is, <laughs> is absolutely fantastic uh, from start to finish. And I think that it just has that, like, even at the time, like, there's certain movies that, like, even when they release, they're still coded in nostalgia, even at their release date. And I think this is one of those movies. Obviously, I was negative two years old when this movie was released, so I can't really speak to that factor. But I still think that there's some movies that just kind of have that magic. And maybe probably a, like a large part of why um, it still lives on is due to Robin Williams' brilliance and genius. Um, what a fantastic actor. Like... I think he's just, like, he's phenomenal, I think, in, like, almost everything. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I he's been in a few movies that have been, like, technically, you know, critically panned, right? Like, Flubber. But I think he's the kind of actor that you really can't consider a movie he's in bad because he does, at the very least, inject it with a sort of, like, charisma I was going to say, yeah. With every uh, movie yeah. he's in, he brings some magical element to it, whether yeah. it's, like, emotionally with Goodwill Hunting or... Like the greatest voiceover performance ever as um the genie in Aladdin. The genie in Aladdin, yeah. My favorite Robin Williams movie is um The Birdcage. Have you guys seen The Birdcage? No. Uh you, I think you, Sam especially, I think would really like The Birdcage. Everybody would, but um it's a really fun movie. It's him and Nathan Lane, who I would say Nathan Lane is kind of in that, that same umbrella fun. of like he's not he's no Robin Williams, obviously, but 
Um, I think just he does. He's another one who I think brings a kind of fun attitude to movies. Honestly, we could. The only other one I maybe would put in there is like a Jim Carrey. We could dedicate an entire episode to Robin Williams. I mean, just looking at his filmography, like he really hasn't made anything bad. And honestly, what I'm seeing on here, the only thing that that I know of that was received poorly was Hook. And I think Hook is a great movie. That one I've actually never I seen. I'd have to say. I wouldn't say great. It was it's fine. I mean, I think I think there's some there's some magic in that movie. Actual I mean, magic, yeah, actually. It's, there, it's always with like the. I think those movies, like Flubber, is just nowhere near as good as like Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, or, not at like, all as good. But well, have you guys or, seen like, um, Christopher Nolan's Jumanji. version of Insomnia? No, Christopher it's, Nolan's it, version of Insomnia. Yeah, I mean, it's probably his. So Insomnia was like a. I think it's a Finnish movie or something, but uh, Christopher Nolan d- adapted it. Uh, into English with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. And it's probably his least, it might be like regarded as his worst film or definitely his least seen film, but uh, it's also really good. And Robin Williams is like completely dramatic in it. You know, like it's, it's not really, there's no comedic streak in it at all. Uh, and he really holds his own. He's actually very good in it. It's just a testament to his acting range. I mean, he's so, so good in Goodwill Hunting. Right. But even Goodwill Hunting carries like a, I mean, it's like a sort of like whimsical spirit, you know, it's a little lighthearted and it. I mean, it's not happy, obviously, but um, there's a, you know, there's like a, he, there's a little bit of Robin Williams still in there, if that makes sense. Insomnia, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, so you can imagine just how like dark and brooding it is. Yeah. It's almost, isn't it probably hard to imagine Nolan directing Robin Williams? Yeah. <laughs> Some guy on the filmmakers sub posted that he directed Bill Murray for like a, like a commercial or something, um, and he's like another one of those like, really just super talented people that oh, can yeah. turn anything that's garbage into gold like instantly just by his like sheer screen presence. Um, okay, so I was thinking that um, you know, really briefly, if you guys had any, we could talk about honorable mentions. Yeah, I, I, I have one. I Okay, Corey, you go. No, you go. I mean, it's been a while since we've heard an awful take from you. We deserve another. <laughs> well, no. Okay, so I wanted to say this because I know Corey's going to agree with me. And I didn't pick this movie because I don't think it was panned per se, but I think it was definitely written off. And that is the new animated Captain Underpants movie is surprisingly great. Damn it. I hate that um, I have to agree with you because that's a great, great movie. I have seen yeah. this movie and I am obsessed with it. Without yeah, I think I think it's wonderful. Like it is just fun, and I mean, I I'm I'm biased because the Captain Underpants books are are probably maybe the most important book series of my entire life. Um. Yeah, like I like so I already love Captain Underpants, but I thought this movie did it complete justice. Was Corey and I were just like stoned one time and like we were like what should we watch? And we were just like, now we could watch the new Captain Underpants. And I think throughout it, we were, we just like turned to each other like multiple times. We're like, damn, this movie's really good. Yeah. We, I don't think we expected it it at all. Yeah. It was, it was just like, you know, just super fun. Like I say what you want about, um, 
Ke- uh, Kevin, whatever his name is. Oh my god, how Kevin am I Hart. blinking on Kevin Hart's? Yeah, like say what you want about Kevin Hart. Like I don't think he's a very good stand-up at all, but he is a, actually a very good voice actor in this movie. Um, and there is just great voice actor after great voice actor in this movie. It's fun animation style. Um, I didn't pick this movie because I don't think it was disliked, but I don't think it was love. I don't think it it was loved at all by any means. And I think it should have been honestly. I think this is a great. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Sam, in that. Like, I I also just loved Captain Underpants growing up, but to be honest, the movie is great way beyond like nostalgia that i think like people like you and you like like it sounds like all of us would have for it it was actually really clever and really smart and we talked earlier about scooby-doo sort of incorporate like or all these kinds of children's films that incorporate comedy for all age groups captain underpants had some pretty mature jokes that uh i thought made it much much more it's it feels funny calling it using the word sophisticated but um, like a much more sophisticated co- uh, children's comedy than what you'd expect. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing with the source material too, because like you know, yeah, if you were to that's true. Go that's back, true. like and like read like the I think the guy's name is Dave Pilkey or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Dave Pilkey. Like if you were to go back and like read, he he made like forty of these things, and they were all like super small. You could finish them in like an hour. Um, they were they were really funny and like. You could probably find adult like if I was to look at it right now, I'd probably find like adult content in there. Um Yeah. But like and I'm glad that the movie like like demonstrated that. But the one thing that I'm gonna have to disagree with Sam on, maybe Corey too, but he probably feels the same way, is that I thought it was kinda weird that they like picked famous people and like famous adults to be the voice actors because like Kevin Hart is such a famous voice. Like everyone knows that voice. So seeing that associated with a kid kind of took me out of it a little bit. I mean, I got used to it like 20 or so minutes into the movie, but I feel like I was just kind of like wondering why they didn't make it a kid because it's supposed to be a kid. Like having an, a, I don't know, like because his voice doesn't really like, sound no like kids kid actually play, No kids actually play kids in any animated movie ever. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really mind Kevin Hart, but I will say if I'm if I was discussing the voice actors in this movie, he would be. He wouldn't really be the one I'd bring up. I thought. Um, well, we all know Nick Kroll. We just talked about Sausage Party. Nick Kroll is a really good voice actor as the douche in and Sausage Nicole's Party. So... But he's hilarious yeah. in this as uh, Professor Poopy Pants. And yeah, he is really funny. Um, Ed Helms is a really good Cap- Captain Underpants. And Thomas Middleditch is, I believe, is the other. It plays his friend, and he good. has already kind of a more childish sounding voice than Kevin Hart. Uh, so I think he does a really good job in that role. But Kevin Hart, I still think was pretty good, especially because I'm pretty sure they distorted his voice a little bit to make it sound a little more high pitched and and uh, childish. Yeah. Fun movie. Fun. Yeah, fun movie though. I thought it was always. I I was impressed. Oh yeah, I was very close to to picking this one, and I think we might have brought this up briefly on another episode, but. I was gonna pick you could I you could pick a lot of M Night Shyamalan films for this one, um, but I was gonna pick M Night Shyamalan's The Happening, which is by far considered his worst movie. Everyone despises The Happening. Um, out of a you know in a filmography defined by critically panned films, this is definitely his most critically panned. 
but I actually really like the happening. Um, I would never claim that Mark Wahlberg or Zoe Chanel give good performances in this. They give terrible performances in it. But I almost feel like that's kind of the idea. Like if you watch this movie as a more of like a B movie and kind of recognize some of the sort of tongue in cheek kind of so bad it's good humor that it goes for. I actually think it's a really cool, really fun movie that has like some actual, um, you know, like environmental angst subtext in there as well that um, is obviously only becoming more important as the years have gone on. Uh, I think it's from like 2008 or something. So um, it wasn't necessarily trendy at the time to make a, a movie about, you know, an, an ecological disaster, but that's what M. Night did. And so, I don't know. He's a, I, I think, I know you're with me on this, Samir. Um, he's someone that I always have a lot of respect for because I think he's always at least trying to do something pretty cool. I also love that his films are set in the Philly region. So I, I, I get to recognize a lot of what uh, he's, he's putting on screen. And yeah, I just think he's someone who, whether he, tr- whether he fails or succeeds, he's always uh, injecting a lot of ambition into his movies. And I found this one to be really ambitious, even if it is a little, uh, little, little corny at times. Yeah. Movie, like, like obviously people hated it, but I didn't think it was as bad as like, other movies like Avatar: The Last Airbender or After right. Earth, starring yeah, those, those are the only two I would say are like I will not defend will not those. Defend. Those are terrible, yeah. terrible movies. But I think you know, like Corey said, that he just he just injects so much passion into his movies, and he really cares about story a lot, cares about twists a lot. Um, and obviously, like it's when someone is bringing that much into it, and you and that's like visible in the movie. Um. It's really hard to like truly, truly hate it. That's the, the easiest fuck, movie guys? to hate. Shut Such up. an easy movie to hate. Yeah, I feel so like that's how we should we should all wrap it up with uh, oh, just man. one negative comment about Spring Breakers, or just a negative comment about. Or just Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, make it a little more personal. I was gonna say, guys. Spring Breakers. I think it's a very derivative movie. Very much like Sam. Sam's very derivative. <laughs> of what? What do I derive from? I mean, just about. Honestly, anything that's like trendy, you kind of just get on the board too late, you know? Like. No, I literally was the first of all of the people with mullets. I was the first one. I just want to make it very, very clear for anyone that's growing a mullet during the pandemic, I was first on that wave. I had to bear the brunt of all the meme Snapchat and Instagram story replies and all the meme tweets. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah, I don't want to be too mean to Sam because uh, he is our only link to Hollywood uh, or the closest link we have to Hollywood on on this podcast. But Uh, he's not received uh, very well in Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah, but it doesn't sound like he's very well liked by the the greats like the kid from Drill and Taylor, so... Yeah, I got ran out of town. Yeah. <laughs> so I was there. I guess you're good for nothing, Sam. <laughs> Dane, did you have a um honorable mention? You know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is okay, shocking to me because today. this is an episode all about gratitude and positivity. So I thought Dane would be bursting at the seams with movies that he thinks um I mean, more than they are. He just loves Scooby Doo Two that much. I, I do think. love Scooby Doo Two, and I could certainly 
um go through a list of of a bunch of a bunch of movies but i feel like we would be here way too long the, my problem is i can't i i can't pick anything to save my life like i can't make a decision so it would probably be, be it would probably be 15 minutes of um me not saying anything just trying to think of what to talk about <laughs> or trying to pick a movie anyway dude just literally filter go to genre go to superhero movie filter lowest average review and dane has guaranteed given it a three and a half or above on every single one of them <laughs> um yeah the the chief vice of any film bro not being able to pick or contain themselves in a group of more than four people well, <laughs> well I sh- wait i just want to say Samir, you brought up a good point about how this is an episode of positivity and i think this is really the first episode where I've shown that I have a heart and that I care deeply about films. And you guys did nothing but shit on my soul for liking one of the most important movies of the 21st century. Um, and I just, wanna, I just want this to be known that um, I feel horrible and it's all your guys' fault. Continue. Well, mission accomplished, right, Samir? <laughs> well... I'm going to talk real briefly about my honorable mention, um, which is one movie, but I'm going to be, I guess I could say it to the series. And uh, that movie is Medea's Family Funeral. Um, <laughs> Jeez, dude. Listen, oh, I, man. I, I was going hard on Sam all episode, but Samir, I, I just don't know. Man. I think dude, they're funny. Listen, I just heard Medea whenever I walked back in the room, man. Medea's Family Funeral. It's, it's the Medea movies. And the thing is, like, listen, no. I, I get it. Like Somewhere. they're not they're not good movies, and I I can't with any rational mind sit here and actually defend those movies. But I would be lying if I said that I didn't belly laugh at least two or three times in each one of those movies. They're funny. Medea is a hilarious character. Like I don't like these movies started off originally on the stage as plays. And then they became movies, and the plays were, like, really successful for being funny. They didn't translate over well as movies. But I think the movies, like, if you were to, if you could sit yourself, like, that one scene in Clockwork Orange where they hold his eyes like this <laughs> while he's, like, watching the movie. Like, if you could do that and watch Medea's, like, the Medea series, I guarantee you, you will find at least two or three moments that you genuinely think are funny. Like... Just to quote if, one of the... If, if that's the what it takes, I, I don't know if that's a really <laughs> endorsement. Samir, you literally said if you are if you were tortured to watch these movies, you might discern a little bit of enjoyment. Well, the thing is, I, I don't think I could find any other way that people would watch these movies in full. Because people are so quick to judge them. Like, they'll watch the trailer and be like, that's bullshit. And 99% of the time, you're right. But the thing is... <laughs> There are moments in these movies that I think are genuinely funny. Like, to quote one of the most brilliant dialogues in all of cinema, um, Medea's grandson is at Medea's house and <laughs> asks Medea, uh, do you have any Wi-Fi? Which Medea responds, no, I don't have any waffles. That's, that's comedic gold. Oh I mean, my God. If, if you were to see that on a film, Whoa. I promise you, you would shit yourself laughing. Um. I don't know. I, I just think. Wait, Samir. I thought the movies were bad. I didn't realize they were that fucking bad. There, I, just, I mean, there, I gotta imagine I there was a better case to be made than the quote you just pulled from the movie. <laughs> I mean, there there obviously is, but like, I don't know. That's like I, the I, joke. That's like the Joker performing stand up. <laughs> it's I like yes, yes, that, that Ellen tweet. 
Alan, the Alan tweet. I was thinking of the Alan tweet. <laughs> I, uh, so I, c- coming back to me, I thought of two movies. Um, I don't have to talk about them too much, <laughs> but, staying. you know, you guys got me thinking, and one movie that I think is really good, well, not really good, but entertaining, is Ghost Rider. There's my superhero movie. But I'm also, I also love the Mortal Kombat movie. Uh, if you if you guys have ever seen, one? I think it was nine. It was made in the nineties. Um, yeah, but that's a, that's a hot take. I, that movie is very very panned. It's definitely a hot take, but I find enjoyment in it, and I I don't know if I'm thankful for it, but I I I enjoy it, and that is the crux of this podcast, Sam, talking about movies that we like. Even if people hate them, I or I guess it's more of like don't hate us because we made a movie podcast. I don't know, hates in it somewhere. It has some kind of hate. Don't hate us, but I love Spring Breakers. (laughs) Roll credits. That's a perfect segue uh, into talking about this podcast as a whole and the fact that it turns out we all are thankful for movies to some degree. We're not thankful for Sam, which I think we knew, <laughs> you know, coming into this podcast. Yeah, but that's super shocking. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, um, because I feel like sharing a guilty pleasure is is an act of, of something that you do when you're intimate with each other, um, and you get to know someone well. Uh, so I'm glad that we were able to do that because sharing those movies is sharing like a part of yourself and the events that surround it. So as Thanksgiving comes up, I will be thinking of these movies. Will I be rewatching them? Probably not, but they will always be in my heart. And this holiday season, you know, I, I really hope that we get a lot of movies, maybe not a lot, maybe one or two that are, that all of us can agree on are runaway hits, critically accepted and audience loves it too. Um. So yeah, that's that's my take on it. Any, any final thoughts from the film, bros? No, I think that was beautiful. Uh, I'm I'm uh, with you, Smear. I'm very thankful for film this year. As as we we talked about on the top of the episode, I I watched almost 180 films thus far in quarantine. So my 2020 has been very much defined by movies. I'm very grateful that they've been there for me throughout quarantine. Uh, even when I couldn't uh, be with some of my closest friends like you guys. So I'm thankful for all of you. Thankful that we decided to start this podcast, who, whose name I will always forget, uh, as Dan just alluded to. Uh, yeah, so I think I think you summed it up pretty well. Did I? I think we can go ahead.